It's a brand new week. Let's get it going here with another edition of Midday on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Dirk Christensen. Welcome to your information. A couple of hours here and lots of it to get you prepared. And we're going to play, uh, it's always fun because we get a chance once in a while to play Where's Susan? It's kind of like Where's Waldo, but uh, a lot more fun in my opinion. So we are going to ask for some clues here today. Where's uh, Susan Littlefield? Well, it requires me to fasten my Mm seatbelt, pay attention to my exit, Mm -hmm. and take a nap. (laughs) (laughs) You're testing the new self-driving cars. I am. I am. No, you're not. You're getting ready to go to Texas. I am. I'm getting ready to fly to um, San Antonio, Texas, the American Sheep Industry Annual Convention is getting underway this week, and so we'll be doing lots of reports, lots of coverage from there. They've got me doing a lot of MC work while we're there, so I'm I'm really excited to get to hang out with a bunch of sheep producers for a few days. Outstanding. Well, sheep's kind of your thing, you know? It is. So I'm pretty excited about it. Well, we're looking forward to it as well, so we'll listen for those reports from Texas as we go into the week. Susan, uh, you also have a little bit of uh, information here from uh, kind of a renowned meteorologist who's going to talk about our upcoming sort of long-term weather outlook, huh? You bet. Eric Snodgrass, who works for the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign, was actually in York over the weekend and was talking about um, the drought conditions, the latest drought monitor. Um, that we talked about just last week, Mm -hmm. and he kind of goes into a little bit more further detail about what's going on with this drought, telling producers to relax. Don't get nervous yet. He says if we're talking drought issues in May, then it's time to get nervous. But he gives a lot of great information as we head into the spring months, so you can hear that in its entirety at 1245. Um, Coming up at 1219, I catch up with a couple lead fellows who are now alumni, and they talk about what life is like after lead and how they continue to keep the ball moving on talking agriculture. And then Shaylee Peters is in at 117. She'll be talking with Jim Debert. He is with Custom Harvester. So she'll be talking about what's happening in the custom harvesting industry. All right. Well, we'll look forward to it, and you enjoy your nap on board that big uh, that big bird. Yeah, since I don't have to fly it, I'll be sleeping. <laughs> All right, Susan. Have a good one. We'll talk to you later. Jason Jorgensen is in with sports. Super Bowl week. Yes, it is. Happens on Sunday in Minneapolis. Former Husker Rex Burkhead, there's a guy that's always been a fan favorite uh, since his days of playing in Lincoln. This will be his first Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. Of course, he's a member of the Patriots. He's pretty fired up about it. We'll get his thoughts about that. Also, some sad news today. Adam Carney, a Loper legend, Al Zickman, former football coach and longtime athletic director, he passed away this morning. He was 95. Mm, he had quite the uh, tenure there at Carney. And of course, he was a former Husker. He was a member of the 1941 Rose Bowl team, and he actually caught a touchdown pass wow. in that game. So he yeah. had. He had quite the life, but uh, he passed away today. We'll touch more on that coming up. Also, we'll talk about the Nebraska women's basketball team. They blew out Iowa yesterday on the road. Is there a big run here in the second half of the season continues? Al Zygman was a coach's coach. He was. I'll tell you sure. that. Bob Rogan with business. Major stock indexes are down. U.S. consumer spending is up. Keurig is looking to buy Dr. Pepper Snapple to create a beverage giant with a lot of annual sales. So those are the stories that we're keeping an eye on right now. All right. All this and a lot more is coming your way today on Midday. Paul Perkins in our Ag Weather, brought to you by Coolman Repair. 
What we do want to find out for sure is whether or not we have any precipitation to rescue any of these very dry regions from that pending drought. And not really, especially for the dry areas of the southern plains. Uh, we're looking at limited moisture amounts here, right here in Nebraska and Kansas over this next week here. So uh, pretty low on the precipitation end of things. Uh, no big blizzards, at least on the way, like we saw last Monday here. Well, it's uh, it's got its positive points and its negatives, <laughs> I guess. There are some places that still have some snow cover, and they benefited from that earlier. Definitely did. Right now we do have... Uh, Maybe a few flurries of snow being kicked up this morning by the clouds, especially about north of Broken Bow up to north of Burwell. Maybe just a few flurries. A lot of us locked into a fair amount of cloud cover, especially if you're to the north of the interstate. But south of the interstate over south central and southeast Nebraska and also the southern panhandle, seeing some sunshine this morning. A lot of our temperatures mainly in the 20s this morning. Still down, though, to 18 at Grand Island. A lot of our temperatures in the upper teens to low 20s. But we do have temperatures as warm as the mid to upper 40s over the southern panhandle and northeast Colorado and also towards Goodland. High pressures tracking east today out of the Dakotas. That's why we did see that shot of some colder air. As it, that area of high pressure moves off towards the east, and we'll see those winds turn more to the south this afternoon and tonight. But not a lot of warming with those southerly winds. But we will see significant warming tomorrow. Warm front tracking east will bring us our warmest day of the next seven days, approaching low pressure, increasing winds tomorrow out of the south and southwest. That's ahead of another cold front. A cold front drops southeast tomorrow night. That'll cool the temperatures off for Wednesday, but will still be milder than normal for Wednesday during the day. Even colder there, though, starts to drop southeast by Wednesday night, along with some weak disturbances, and that will keep the chance of some spotty snow Wednesday night through Thursday night. Friday will be mostly dry and a little warmer ahead of the next cold front, but then this weekend we're going to be cooler with those chances of mainly light snow in behind that front. In the long term, the colder temperatures expected to linger for a while. The Nebraska and Kansas temperature forecast expects below normal temperatures this weekend through February 11th. The precipitation forecast expecting mainly near normal precipitation this weekend through February 11th. For both Nebraska and Kansas, looks like it's going to trend slightly to the drier side of that in Kansas and slightly wetter into Nebraska. Weather factors driving the markets include continuing dryness in central Argentina and more heavy rain disrupting harvest in central Brazil. Western U.S. warmth will surge east the next few days. Temperatures tomorrow expected to top out as high as 70 as far north as the central high plains. After that, that surge of cold air expected to engulf the Midwest and much of the east. That's going to be followed by a second blast of frigid weather over the weekend. Rain and snow will accompany each round of cold air. Drought is deepening and expanding in the southern plains wheat areas. There are concerns for crop loss from already reduced winter wheat acreage. Central Argentina crop areas will see more heat and dryness this week after a weekend of limited rain. Soil moisture is declining and the stress to pod filling soybeans and filling corn is significant. A different form of bad news in central Brazil where another week of heavy rain is forecast. That rain disrupting early, early harvest and also unfavorable to the maturing soybeans. There are concerns of possible reduction in crop size in central Brazil from that late season heavy rain. All right, and your Ag Weather with Paul brought to you by Kuhlman Repair today. A little bit later on in our midday program, Susan will be talking with Dr. Uh, Eric Snodgrass, who talks a lot about, about the Midwest drought and uh, whether or not it's time to panic, so stay around for that one. Uh, 
In the meantime, we're just looking at slightly warmer conditions for tomorrow and pretty dry. Yeah, it looks to be very nice tomorrow. If you got some outdoor activities that you want to get handled tomorrow, tomorrow would be the day. Very good. When you need weather anytime, krvn.com. An update on the slowed barge traffic in rivers, and is it affecting basis price in the Midwest? The U.S. sets another record for red meat production in 2017, and we hear from UNL professor Richard Perrin on why blenders are willing to pay more for sweet sorghum-derived ethanol. That's all ahead on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Clay Patton. Last week, I reported that USDA Weekly Grain Transportation Report showed weekly grain tonnages along the inland waterway system being significantly reduced since late December due to icing. For the first two weeks of January, grain barge tonnages were at 496,000 tons, 63% lower than the same time in 2016. Last week's warmer weather appears to be helping the river shipping system, as the latest barge report shows a total of 497,000 tons moving down the river. That's a 75% increase from the previous week, but still down 32% from the same time a year ago. With river traffic slowing, grain merchandising companies have started putting more grain on the rail to get it to the coast. U.S. Class 1 railroads originated 21,957 carloads for the week ending January 13. That's up 12% from the previous week. To see if this was affecting Midwest elevators, I talked with Eric Sperber, CEO of Cornerstone Ag. Sperber commented on the increased rail traffic and slowed barge traffic, saying there has been a slight uptick in rail car prices due to the river's freezing, but the overall price raise is marginal and is having little effect on the basis of grain at Cornerstone locations. With another cool-down possible at the end of this week, it may slow the river traffic once again. From grains to meat, American red meat production totaled 4.4 billion pounds in December of 2017, up slightly from December of 2016, setting a new record for red meat production in December. For the calendar year 2017, commercial red meat production was at 52 billion pounds. That's 3% higher than the previous year. Helping to achieve this milestone was added packing capacity for pork producers, plus a large export demand at home and overseas kept beef cold storage at one of its lowest levels in several years. You can read more on this story and others at ruralradio.com. Richard Perrin, UNL professor of ag economics, recently released his study on sweet sorghum as an alternative to corn for both producers and ethanol plants. In his study, it shows that fuel blenders at times are willing to pay 35 to 50 cents more for sweet sorghum ethanol rather than corn ethanol. Professor Perrin explains why the blenders are willing to pay more. People who are willing to pay are the blenders who are under mandates by the renewable fuel standard to blend into the consumer road fuel supply certain amounts of different kinds of ethanol. So what matters here is not that the ethanol is different between the sweet sorghum ethanol and corn ethanol. What matters is that the renewable fuel standards require that different different amounts of different categories of fuels must be blended. And the fuel from, uh, fuel made from grain starch, such as corn starch, is kind of the the vanilla variety of ethanol category. Well, sweet sorghum made, sweet sorghum provides advanced biofuel because it reduces greenhouse gases more than does corn ethanol, basically. 
Currently, the spread between ethanol varieties has fallen to below a dime, a level where Professor Perrin believes producers cannot make enough money to justify the switch to sweet sorghum. The spread may return, though, as we move closer to the spring months. I'm Clay Patton. Keep a straight row. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Nebraska lead alumni meeting over the weekend to talk agriculture. Good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. An opportunity to reconnect not only your own lead class, but other lead fellows from previous groups. Deb Gangwish, talk to me about the importance of the alumni. Well, you know, I was I was thinking about that when we had the invitation to come and as our class worked on on the whole LEAD alumni conference. Um, to us it's vital because my husband went through LEAD and I went through LEAD and for both of us it, it changed our lives. I mean I, um, I saw it firsthand with my husband and my husband saw it firsthand with me. So it's one of those things that when your life is is so deeply changed you want you want that change to continue because it was a good thing for us. So coming to something like this you you get that stimulus and you have ideas and you can share and you can talk and so you can't do that if you're not in person. It's not the same. So we were excited to be here. You talk about how Nebraska Lead has changed you. You have gotten in the last couple of years very involved yeah, in organizations. Yeah. Do you think you would have been as involved had oh. you not gone through Lead? Oh no. And I can I can pinpoint when that started to happen. It was um, it, it was in the second half of the first year when it, it, we had a speaker talk to us and he point blank looked at us in the room and said, it is time to light a fire under all of you. Agriculture needs you. And I remember that so vividly because it was from that point on that I, his, his words echoed and they never left me. And it just kind of just had this fire inside of me to, to give back. You know, my husband went through lead when we had uh, five kids in high school. And so I, I get being the spouse who's home while a spouse is in the program. Um, there's never going to be a good time. I chose to go uh, after all the kids were out of high school. That's what fit. But you truly have to soul search and find out what will work and, and, and just kind of dive in. Um, second of all, I would really like to mention that I am not from an ag background. So don't... If, if you are in a marriage or you've, you've, you're, you're part of your farm but you maybe weren't super involved initially, I worked off the farm for a lot of years, that doesn't mean you can't give back. That doesn't mean you don't have a voice or that you can't contribute. And a program like LEAD really puts all those pieces together for you so you have this springboard that you can, you, you can choose where is my voice you know, best used. It may not be... Uh, with Nebraska corn growers. It might be on your school board. It might be in a local daycare, you know, advisory board. But step up. Uh, rural Nebraska and actually uh, all of Nebraska. I mean, whether it's agriculture or not, we need leaders. And uh, LEAD gives you the courage, or gave me the courage, and I think my husband the courage, to, to take that step and say, you know what? One person can make a difference. Dr. Terry Henney is the director for the Nebraska LEAD program. He was in attendance at the alumni event and talked about the importance. Yeah, uh, 
Nebraska Lead Alumni Association puts on an annual conference every year, and you know part of their mission is to to bring the classes together, but also to give each class a chance to put those leadership skills they've learned into action. And I think uh, you know it's becoming even more important nowadays with the challenges that are out there, uh, what's happening with the farm economy, to unite, um, share ideas, learn new things, uh, and, and keep that network f uh, of ideas flowing and a network of friends and acquaintances that can that can uh, help make Nebraska move uh, forward. Even even better. The lead alumni event over the weekend brought lead fellows from all different classes. I'm Susan Littlefield on the World Radio Network. You are listening to the Midday Program on the Rural Radio Network, and it's time now to check sports with Jason Jorgensen. Hey, thanks, Dirk. Well, former University of Nebraska Kearney coaching great Al Zickman died this morning at Good Samaritan Hospital. He was 95. A member of the UNK Hall of Fame, he spent 32 years at Kearney State College as football coach and athletic director before retiring in 1987. His football teams amassed a 121-31 and 3 record, including undefeated seasons in 1956. 1958 and 1967. Now his 1963 team played in the NAIA playoffs and his teams won 11 conference titles. Of course he played football at the University of Nebraska from 1939 to 1943 and was a member of the Nebraska Football Hall of Fame and the Helms Athletic Foundation Hall of Fame. He was a member of that Nebraska squad that played in the Rose Bowl in 1941 and the youngest player in Rose Bowl history to catch a touchdown. He grew up in Ord, served in the Navy, and coached at Alliance High School and Grand Island High School prior to joining Kearney State. Well, go ahead and take the New England Patriots to win their sixth Super Bowl title with Tom Brady, who's on the cover of Madden NFL 18 to earn his fifth MVP award. Those are the predictions of EA Sports using their Madden NFL 18 simulation for Sunday's big game between the Patriots and the Eagles. Now, for those who doubt the accuracy, EA Sports has predicted 10 of the 14 Super Bowl winners since the company started simulating the game back in 2004. A former Husker Rex Burkhead is a member of the Patriots, and he says he can't wait for Sunday. Oh, they're excited. Yeah, definitely excited. Um, you know, they they knew it was a dream of mine ever since I was a little kid, you know, growing up playing, um, you know, to have this chance to play in the Super Bowl. Um, you know, it's a dream come true for sure. Kickoff is set for Sunday in Minneapolis. The Nebraska women's basketball team, they continue to roll. As yesterday, they went to Iowa and curb stomped the Hawkeyes, winning that one 92-74. to Hawkeyes went into that game ranked 25th in the country. Nebraska jumped out to a 36-point lead in that one before coasting in for the victory. And head coach Amy Williams talks about how that one developed. We were able to kind of go to our bench early, and our bench really stepped up. And, and uh, you know, we were playing fresh kids right there at a moment when we were just able to really spark some things and go on go on a streak. We had, uh, you know, just incredible field goal percentage there early. It seemed like every shot we were taking was, was a good shot, but they were going in, and, and that was fun to see. And Williams made her comments on her post-game show on the Husker Sports Network. Nebraska is now 16-6 and overall, 7-2 and in the Big Ten. They're back in action on Thursday when they host Illinois. That's a look at sports. Have a great day. I'm Jason Jorgensen. Stay tuned. More Midday is just ahead. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network. Partly cloudy skies in Nebraska tonight with lows in the teens in the east to the 20s in the west. I'm Dave Schroeder. Governor Pete Ricketts hosted the annual Governor's Walk this morning at the state capitol. The Governor's Walk is an event which highlights health initiatives and wellness. Wellness is key to living the good life. 
And we want to highlight that making physical activity part of your daily routine is part of that key to having a healthy lifestyle. Dave Molnarik with the Nebraska Sports Council says state officials want to continue the Nebraska 150 Challenge, which was started last year as a way to unite Nebraskans on healthy goals during Nebraska's 150th year of statehood. The Any 150 Challenge, last year we had a goal of, of attracting 5,000 participants. We've done that. Uh, this next year we hope to double that so that we have 10,000 Nebraskans out there uh, exercising, using Nebraska's trails, and, and living healthier, more active lives. And uh, we, want to, we want to try to have them log 2 million miles this year. So those are lofty goals, uh, but ones that I think we can meet. Following a news conference, Governor Pete Ricketts and other state officials went on a walk around the state capitol. A man has died in a fall at a construction site in Hastings. Authorities say the man fell about 80 feet shortly before 4 p.m. Friday. He was pronounced dead at the scene. He was later identified as 39-year-old Rafael Orozco. He lived in Grand Island. Authorities continue to investigate what happened. Nebraska Game and Parks Commission invites people to learn about the future of Nebraska fisheries management at public informational meetings being held across the state in coming weeks. The meetings will begin with an overview of the 2018 fishing forecast, an update on special projects, and a report of potential regulation changes. Nebraska Game and Parks Commission staff then will receive feedback and answer questions. All of the meetings will be held from 7 to 9 p.m. The first meeting will be on January 29th at the Kearney Public Library. Other meetings will be at the Ord Cobblestone Inn on February 12th, and on February 20th at the Red Willow County Fairgrounds in McCook. A driver has been killed while fleeing authorities in northeast Kansas. The Kansas Highway Patrol says 45-year-old Raymond Bosch Jr. of Effingham failed to maneuver a curve early Sunday in Atchison, Kansas. The patrol says his pickup truck then drove onto a private lawn, struck a brick retaining wall, and rolled. The patrol says he wasn't wearing a seatbelt and died. Our app is a perfect companion to your phone. Download it free in the App Store or Google Play. Reporting from the KRVN News Center, I'm Dave Schroeder. Giving an understanding to the weather. Good afternoon, I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Eric Snodgrass is with the University of Illinois working at Urbana-Champaign. And as a meteorologist, he has the opportunity not only to teach in the classroom, but teach beyond. And he spoke over the weekend at the Nebraska Lead Alumni event in York. So I asked him, looking at the latest drought monitor, what were his thoughts? Good question. So we've got some pretty dry conditions right now in Texas, Oklahoma, Kansas. I think parts of the panel of Texas haven't seen measurable precipitation since October. So we've, it's gone a long, a long while. Okay, if, if there's drought in the southern plains in winter, it's something that I tell people, let me watch it. And if I'm still talking about it at the end of May, then it's going to be a, a bigger deal for our growing season. And why I say that is because if drought survives our April and May rains, then Ten, that tends to kind of tell us that there's a larger pattern shift that's going to allow that maybe heat to build in there and the continuation of drought. Because during April and May and early June, we have big weather systems that go rolling through, so big low pressure systems, and they can get rid of that in a heartbeat. But once you get past June, really all you're getting are, are thunderstorms. You know, we're not getting these big organized weather systems very frequently. So if that drought is still there at the end of May, then it's going to be an issue that we have to deal with. Um, give you a couple of examples. We had drought in a similar area in 88. 
contain it continued to spread. And in 12, well, the drought that spread north in 12 came from Texas in 2011. So that's why we watch it. But we can have big time, I mean, it happened last year. We had drought, similar area, not as severe, but rains came in at the end of April, beginning of May, and wiped it, wiped it away. So it's something we have to just watch like a hawk. So every drought monitor that comes out, you know, here from uh, the university, that's where they produce it, here, here in Lincoln, um, we just have to keep watching it to see if it's going to survive the April and, and, and May rains. So it's just patience is a virtue at that point. It, exactly. You know, I, and I tell people, just don't worry yet if, until I tell you to worry. <laughs> Now, I had a producer that was talking, had just come back from skiing in Colorado mm -hmm. and was just absolutely impressed with the amount of snowpack that they have in Colorado. Yeah. He said for him in the western part of Nebraska, this is good news. Sure, and that's great. You know what's interesting about the snowpack this year, though, is that on the, on the eastern side, okay, so in Colorado and parts of Montana, there is an abundance of snow now. Uh, on the western side, there's not. They're getting some great snow today, but it's interesting. The Rockies right now are not ubiquitously kind of covered with snow. And so there's some, there's some concern, there, I think, in, for ag in general, uh, just because when you have the states of Washington and Oregon, which they do grow corn and beans there as well, uh, and California cuts most of their corn for silage, but still, they're missing out on a lot of the snow that, that's happening right now. But get back to your original point, the fact that the eastern slopes do have quite a bit of snow, that's good for the overall water budget of the western plains. So it, it's a positive thing. How far um, that, that translates to the, to the east, you know, I, I, I have to say I haven't really studied those watersheds really well, but it's, good, it's a good start. I'd much rather see that than the opposite. Many folks uh, say we don't get the good old-fashioned thunderstorms in the spring like we used to. What are you seeing as some of the causes and the, and the shifts that we're not seeing, you know, like what you and I remembered? <laughs> sure. Well, to tell you, the biggest shifts that we've seen in terms of just looking at the data, in other words, what have we, what have we noticed? We process the data sets about 70 years long, and what we're starting to see here is, is, a, is a general pattern shift in the way that precipitation is delivered. What I mean by that is we're getting these bigger kind of one-off events, two inches of rain in a day plus, followed by longer dry stretches, rather than more routine and regular big rainfall events from just you know, normal thunderstorm activity. And what we're trying to understand is what's causing that. And I think one of the big things that the research is pointing to is we're getting what we call um, an amplification of the jet stream. So the jet streams like troughs and ridges, we're starting to see that these troughs and ridges are getting a little bit more amplified. And well, that changes the whole dynamics of the storm system. And it may end up producing more severe weather of the southeast and less of a threat you know, in the central plains. That's one potential uh, outcome of this. But still, you know, at my university, we teach a class that's entirely dedicated to storm chasing. We still come to Nebraska for your storms, regardless uh, that we're seeing some changes. But you're right, there, there's been a noticeable shift over the last decade or so uh, where, where maybe it doesn't seem to be quite as routine as it used to be. And I'll just tell you, there's a, an enormous amount of active research to try to understand why. You talk about storm chasing, and obviously as a firefighter, I love it. But more importantly, what this weather phenomenon brings and how fast these storm cells pop up. Yeah. You look at it from an agricultural perspective and you and I were talking about how livestock act. Yeah. <laughs> and how even my grand I remember my grandfather saying, you know it's gonna storm, just look at how the the corn yeah. leaves are looking. Look how the bean leaves. Taking that data, do you guys compile all that information? Yeah, I mean it's amazing because uh, you're right, the, the plants respond. I mean, you, you can actually see based on the humidity, because basically that's what the storms are, lots of moisture, and you will see the changes in the leaf structure and both corn and soybeans, and you know that it's pumping moisture into the atmosphere, and the atmosphere will use it. Uh, yeah, no, we, we, we look at all of it to try to understand what the you know, bigger picture is with any particular day's severe weather. I'll tell you this about severe weather, though. Um, you know, it'd be awesome if we could predict it. 
days and days and days in advance, but the nature of the beast is we, we probably only have a good handle on it about two to three days out, exactly when and where we're going to get the most severe weather. And really it's only the day of when we see the, everything coming together that we can kind of pinpoint regions. But uh, that's what makes it fun, right? It changes every day and i got something new to look at. And But you're right, uh, Mother Nature will respond uh, the, the way the animals behave, the way that the... Um, you know, the plants behave, we, it's a good telltale. In fact, we chase, we're staring at cornfields all the time, just trying to see what the, what the crops look like, because they'll kind of give us an idea if the moisture... Part of my conversation with Dr. Eric Snodgrass. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Well, let's talk with Joe Teal at Great Plains Commodities Livestock Futures uh, closing today. And we saw... This rally in live cattle, I mean, it couldn't have been that uh, cattle on feed report on Friday that did this, though, right? Uh, no, I wouldn't say necessarily so. I mean, the uh, placement number was a little high, but uh, uh, the uh, rest of the report pretty much neutral. And I'd have to say that uh, the uh, cash trade on Friday after the report being at 127 uh, kind of spurred uh, the uh, futures market this morning. Uh, to start out higher, and, uh, you know, from there, uh, things just uh, remained pretty uh, solid. Cutouts were higher at noon, so that didn't uh, hurt anything. So, uh, you know, a lot of conversation about uh, the feedlots being a little bit on the tight side right at the moment. Despite the uh, numbers, they're uh, market-ready, aren't quite as many as uh, uh, people had thought. So... Therefore, the uh, strength in the, uh, despite the uh, kind of negative report. Over in the hogs today, uh, they're going to finish uh, lower except for the nearby uh, February contract, which closed just moderately higher and just moderately lower on the, uh, on the uh, deferred months. Cutouts were a little bit lower. Cash seemed to be about steady. So there wasn't really much to go on today. Uh, index seems to be holding pretty steady also. Thanks, Joe. You can reach Joe Teal at Great Plains Commodities, 800-328-0134. Total cattle slaughter today was expected to be 118,000, 4,000 more than the same Monday a year ago. Hog slaughter at 466,000, 26,000 more than one year ago. I'm Dewey Nelson. Custom Harvesters Incorporated held their annual convention in Grand Island this past week into weekend. I'm Shaylee Peters on the Rural Radio Network. I had a chance to catch up with Jim Divert of Colby, Kansas. He was vice president, moved into the position of president during their annual convention this year, and he opened up by talking about his operation. I started this business in uh, 1969. I went on my first harvest crew as an employee. And in 1971, I bought my first combine, and I had one combine for till 76, 76. I bought a second one, and then I went completely on my own, and I've been doing it ever since. And we've grown to an operation of six combines, traveling from Texas to North Dakota. I'm very fortunate that I have. Um, many of the same customers for over 25 years and uh, it's it's been a good uh, good bribe as mentioned diver moved from his role of vice president into president as we work into 2018 this is his second term as president with u.s custom harvesters we've got a lot of issues facing us one of them is eld 
which is electronic log device. And right now it looks pretty good. There is a exemption for harvesters that will work for most of us. And it is if you move less than eight times in one month, uh, loggable miles, that you will, are exempt. But it is going to be hard on some of our members that haul grain in the wintertime. They've got to buy that. And that those things can run from 500 to $2,000. And, and it's just something that doesn't match what we do. But uh, we're, we're going to work in Washington to try to figure out what we can do to make it better for our membership. And soon Diver will be headed to Washington on behalf of U.S. Custom Harvesters. He talks about what he expects down there. We'll go to the NCAE conference, and that is the National Council of Ag Employers. And that's got a lot to do with the foreign workers that we use, the uh, H-2A. And we talk about rules and regulations on that, as well as we'll also do some stuff on the new CDL training rules that are coming out in 2020. We're going to work with the Federal Motor Carrier people and try to get some relief on some of that and try to or figure out what we need to do to comply. Divert expanded on how labor has changed since he first started in the business and some of the issues that they're facing right now. Well, when I started in this business, we used a lot of high school kids and we used a lot of college kids, and it was a way for them to make money to go to school. But now college and high school starts up the middle of August. Well, that's the middle of our summer, and we can't use many of those guys anymore. And we've been forced into using a lot of uh, workers from overseas. And I've been fortunate to get some workers in on uh, different programs to, uh, that are for ag students. It's a J-1 program, but then I also have to use the H-2A program somewhat. And uh, so there's always a different program to figure out and, you know, watch for changes and try to get it to where it works satisfactory for us. It's Jim Diver with U.S. Custom Harvesters Incorporated from their annual convention that took place in Grand Island this past week into weekend. For more, visit RuralRadio.com. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network as we check in with John Payne. Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniel's Ag Marketing in Chicago, and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. We made another run in these uh, hard red winter wheat futures today, John. Yeah, it's the uh, kind of the market of, of choice here. You've got a couple of things going. One, you've got the uh, the, the break in the dollar, obviously, that's been supportive, and then the uh, you know the, the complex is looking at dry weather for the next couple of weeks. The two-week forecast isn't showing anything changing, and you know you go out to western Kansas, you're probably looking at some warm-up. It might even come out of dormancy a little bit. So, I don't think we uh, I don't think we see the market move substantially higher you know maybe we could see another 20 or 30 cents you get above the 5 five ten level i think you're going to start to bring in some you know some selling there both from the deferred contracts down the road and from the front months but uh, this is the time of the year for it you know a year ago as i mentioned last week we were trading right around the 10 uh, 430 level and we ended up near 470 480 by the time it was all said and done so probably another another little leg to go here if things would continue and you had uh, buying of kansas city and selling minneapolis weight futures yeah, I think, you know, the, the Minneapolis obviously being the spring wheat story and not a whole lot there, moisture. I think they were 
pointing towards some, but I, I just think there's a lack of story there, and the the, K, the short positions are really in the in the winter wheat contract. So you're seeing some short covering, and I I will note this morning really everything that's working on the board this morning outside of the live cattle market that's been very good of late is really have been markets that have been depressed the last six months. So you look at wheat, look at corn, look at beans. Those are all higher. And then cotton, for example, the other row crop is just getting hammered. Uh, the stock market's actually red on the day. Bonds are starting to sell off, and, and crude oil was down 1%. So you know, I think a lot of this is short covering. I think the story is there to kind of change it. But have we seen any big turn in the fundamental supply and demand story? I don't think quite yet. I would say, uh, you know, it's just the fact that we're cheap is why we're going to rally. I look for, you know, a test of 365, 370 on the march. I get above that, I think you got to start looking at, uh, you know, as, as we've been saying for months, use that carry if you're storing it. All right. What about the December corn contract here? Are we talking $4 uh, down the road? I do. Well, I think we'll put our heels right up to it, three ninety nine. dollars If you know, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of folks looking to sell that level. Uh, you know, the March contract, looking for folks who are trying to price for a year from now, March is going to be, you know, I think we did. Well, we sell right below at three ninety nine and three quarters. We'll see if maybe we get a little bit of an inch higher. I wouldn't be shocked to see a little turnaround tomorrow. But again, four five, four ten. I mean, these are early prices that I think you can get put on here. And this is what using the carry is. Using the carry isn't all about stored corn. It's about corn that isn't created yet. Thanks, John. John Payne. He is the senior marketing analyst with Daniel's Ag Marketing in Chicago, and you can contact them at danielsagmarketing.com. That's danielsagmarketing.com. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network.